it's one of the things that we do most frequently in life is eat. And so it's one of the most important inputs. It's one of the most important sources of information. And we, we want to make sure that that input, that source of information is life-giving as much as possible. It's the same thing that you, you want to do for yourself, but you for sure want to do it for your super babies. Welcome back to the Essentially You podcast, all about reinventing your health with safer, cheaper, more effective natural solutions and powerful lifestyle changes so that you become the CEO of your health. I am your host, Dr. Marisa Snyder. As I waddle into week 35 of my pregnancy, I am in such awe of the female anatomy and the wisdom of our bodies. Our bodies are such a remarkable miracle, and I'm not gonna lie. I am so blessed to bear witness to how tirelessly Pregnant bodies work to create a fetus over the course of nine to 10 months. I have loved this journey so much because I have learned so much about myself and the process my body is going through to make this perfect little human. And I am so grateful to get to share my journey here with you and share the information that I'm learning along the way, especially as I navigate my pregnancy at age 41. Now, in a previous episode, episode 227, I actually break down what I did to get pregnant at age 40, and this was a very popular episode. I share my supplement protocol along with my anti-inflammatory pregnancy diet in case you want to go back and listen to that quick and jam-packed episode. Again, episode 227. I'm also, for today, including my bonus hormone supplement guide. For even more information on how to support your hormones and your menstrual cycle, whether you're trying to get pregnant or not, and you are still cycling, your body is preparing for it. And so it's important that we take care of our reproductive system because it's an important gauge to our overall health. Now, this supplement guide are about the must-have consistent supplements and nutrients that our body needs every single day to function like a fine-tuned machine. Now, what I love so much about this guide is it's a great reference guide to go back to, especially when it comes to supporting your hormones, no matter what journey you're on. And you will find it for the show notes for today's episode, which is 242. Now, today I invite one of my dearest friends and who I consider to be a guru in fertility, especially when it comes to priming the body to get pregnant. And she is known for helping to shift epigenetics and genetics for babies to create super babies. This is Dr. Cleopatra, and I'm so excited for her to share her best recommendations on what to eat and supplement during pregnancy so that we are creating the best, most nourishing environment for the growth of the fetus, our little baby, especially when it comes to brain development. Now, Dr. Cleopatra is pure magic. And I've been so grateful to her for her guidance in helping me to create my little super baby by providing incredible recommendations to shift my epigenetics and therefore my baby's epigenetics before getting pregnant and throughout the pregnancy. Now, the reason why I believe it's so important to have this conversation today is because one of the discoveries that I had kind of brought to light when I was looking into all the cutting edge research, especially around supplementation, food, all of that. But I noticed that almost every prenatal vitamin is lacking 
key nutrients and vitamins, at least the amounts of key nutrients and vitamins that a baby needs to thrive and develop when they're creating those 100 billion neurons. For instance, many women need at least 4,000 to 5,000 units of vitamin D3, but most prenatals only have between four and 800 units. It's just not enough, especially when so many of us are deficient. So today, we're gonna uncover exactly how to set ourselves up for success and for the success of our baby. And if you want the full episode, because I did a full Mama Jamma episode on trying to get pregnant, so like fertility, and then pregnancy, and then postpartum, what are the most important supplements to take during those three phases, you can check out episode 231. Now, the reason why we're doing this episode today is because this is Dr. Cleopatra's wheelhouse, and I think that it is so critical that we just know this stuff, that we can have conversations with friends and family, that if we're trying to navigate our pregnancy ourselves, that we know, I always just feel like when we know better, we can always make better choices and we can take action steps to ensure that we're doing all the right things. And I know as pregnant mamas out there, everyone wants to do all the right things for their, for their child. Now, before I bring on this amazing goddess, I want to quickly sing her praises. Dr. Cleopatra is the fertility strategist and executive director of the Fertility and Pregnancy Institute. She is a scientist and a university professor at USC, specializing in fertility, pregnancy, and how health is transmitted from one generation to the next through epigenetics. She's been cited in over a thousand articles in the past five years alone, and she teaches women about the trimester, which is the three months prior to getting pregnant. Using science-based evidence, the trimester protocol is developed and refined by Dr. Cleopatra and has been used for the past 25 years to get thousands of women pregnant. She also helps women reverse reproductive aging, helps them to get pregnant quickly, reduces miscarriage risk, and to have that super baby of their dreams. Let's welcome Dr. Cleopatra to the show. Welcome to the Essentially You podcast, Dr. Cleopatra. How are you doing today, my love? I'm doing so well, Mama. So excited to be here with you today. Mm, I am so excited as well. This has been such an incredible journey that we have been on together as my incredible, incredible, you know, not only fertility expert, but like mama, mama guru, you know, and I'm so excited to continue our conversations, not only in person, but also here on the podcast, because since I have announced my pregnancy back, way back <laughs> earlier this year, a lot of people have wanted to know, you know, just some of the things to do when we're navigating this time. Because I know that there's a lot of conflicting advice out there. I know that sometimes OBGYNs say this or they don't say that. And so it's because you are who I consider to be the utmost guru when it comes to not only getting pregnant, but then also creating super babies during pregnancy. I thought this was a really great opportunity to bring you on and have you clear the air. So before we get into that, Dr. Cleopatra, I'd love for you to just share really quickly kind of that defining moment for you when you knew this this was the work you wanted to do in the world. Yes. It was really at my birth. I lost my mother at birth. My mother was a beautiful 27-year-old woman. So she was super young, but not too young to be giving birth. 
And she, she died in childbirth and she died in childbirth because her life wasn't valued, which is something that still happens to black and brown women every single day, 42 years later. And by the time I was five or six, I was already so aware of the fact that reproduction is one of the most important things in the world, if not the most important thing in the world. And I wanted to be involved in it. I wanted to know what to do. I wanted to know how to help ensure that it goes well for as many women and children and families as humanly possible in the world. And I really just started to collect data informally as a child. And then 18 years and one month, literally one month after my 18th birthday, I went into a pregnancy laboratory at the University of Miami. And that's when my work formally began. Mm, That's incredible. I love it. I mean, like, this is since inception or since you were so young, you knew this was the work that you wanted to do in the world. And now you've transformed thousands of people's lives um, and people in particular who thought that they could never potentially have children. So let's let's fast forward to let's say we did get pregnant. Let's say today's the day um, peeing on a stick. <laughs> four or five of them, as all women do, right? We buy the three pack or the six pack of um, pregnancy tests and they're all positive. Once one's positive, usually the rest of them are. What do we do? What do we do next besides kind of process that information, especially if this is this is what we've been waiting for. This is what we've been looking forward to. I know the next question, I know for me, when I when I got pregnant, it didn't matter how much I had researched before pregnancy. Once you are pregnant, like it just changes everything. Like you're like, okay, this is going down. And you want to do everything you can nutritionally, developmentally for, for this growing fetus that is going to do some miraculous things in the next nine to 10 months, including what I understand is grow a hundred billion neurons, which are brain cells. And so talk to me about what are some of the first steps that we should be taking when we find out we're pregnant, especially if we are trying to do everything possible to have a really healthy baby. I love all this so much. So first of all, those moments are what I live for. Those moments when you pee on the stick and you get the result that you've been waiting for. And even when you've been waiting for it, it's still a lot to take in. And there's a lot of processing that happens. And in that moment, it's like a laser, like everything in your life comes into very sharp focus. And that means all the things that are working well and all the things that aren't working well. So pregnancy is this beautiful rite of passage, not just for our our babies and our super babies, but also for us as humans and as mothers. And it's such a sacred time that I think we've lost a lot of the beauty around how sacred that time is in in this really fast-paced life that we're all living today. So one of the first things that I want you to remember is that if you trimestered, you started to create that epigenetic foundation for your super baby, meaning that you get to have the healthiest, happiest, brightest, most well-adjusted baby that you can possibly have given your genome and your epigenome and that of the other person who's providing DNA for your baby. If you didn't trimester, you still have the opportunity to create this epigenetic foundation for your baby and to create your super baby. So even though we got a lot of messages about pregnancy being this time when you can pretty much 
eat whatever you want because you're already going to be gaining weight anyway, et cetera. This is actually not the time to indulge on all the things that you Twinkies and all the things that you don't eat normally because you're going to be gaining weight anyway, because everything that you're consuming, doing, et cetera, I want you to think about, do I want to grow my baby's brain, body, immune system, stress response on this substance, whether it's food, drink, a medication, a drug, whatever it may be, or even a thought, by the way. So I want you to ask yourself that question. And I want that to be your guiding light. Do I want to grow my baby on this thing? And if you don't want to grow your baby on this thing, then leave that thing alone. If you, if you love the idea of your baby growing on that thing, then go all in on that thing. So when you have that moment, you get the pregnancy test. Here's one of the first things that I want you to do, especially if you're a woman who's farther along in her reproductive span in her thirties or forties, but wherever you are in your reproductive span, now's a great time to call your OB set up your first appointment for your first ultrasound. Every OB is different as to when they want you to come in for that ultrasound. Some want you to come in as early as six weeks. Some are more like eight or nine weeks. Whichever your OB does is all good. So call and set that appointment, but also ask to go in that day, the next day, or the next Monday, whatever it may be, and have a couple of tests run. You don't need advance notice to get those appointments usually because the office staff rather than the doctor are the ones who do the blood, the blood draw for you. So here are a couple of things you want to look at. You can look at the HCG levels, which are your the HCG is the pregnancy hormone. That's what tripped the positive pregnancy test in the first place. You can look at your estradiol levels. You can look at level. You can look at your progesterone level. A lot of women in their 30s and 40s, especially will need some progesterone supplementation and that's totally fine. So go in there, have those things looked at. In addition, a great thing to look at is your vitamin D level and also to run a full thyroid panel. I'm not just talking about TSH, which is what doctors will typically run when they're looking at your thyroid function. I want you to have the full panel. So TSH, also looking at T3, T4 and antibodies. So those are a good battery of things, tests to have run pretty much as soon as you get your positive pregnancy test. A lot of doctors will think that it's not necessary, but that's you being proactive. And guess what? You are going to start to learn to be proactive on behalf of your super baby starting in that moment, because you will be doing that for the rest of your life. You are not going to defer to doctors, teachers, coaches, or anyone else to make the ultimate decisions for your, your super baby or your family as a whole. So this is that first moment where you start to be proactive on behalf of your, yourself and your super baby. And it, like I said, it will be a lifelong journey and process being proactive in that way. So I want you to do those tests initially, and then it's a great idea to continue to run a full thyroid panel and your vitamin D levels at least once a trimester. If you have any indication of hyper or hypothyroidism and hypothyroidism is much more common in pregnancy than hyperthyroidism. And even if you didn't start out with anything going on with your thyroid, pregnancy can often create conditions that contribute to changes in the thyroid, which is why it's a great thing to monitor at least once a trimester. If something is detected, 
then you'll probably want to monitor even more frequently than that, for example, every six weeks. So that's what I want you to do as, from a very practical standpoint when you first get your positive pregnancy test. Hmm. I think that is so, so wise. And a couple of things just from my own personal experience, because we work together, I'm going to have you talk and we're going to speak into the epigenetics and the nutrition and the um, supplement component in just a moment. But, you know, it was so critical. I know that I was on, just to let people know, full disclosure, I was on supplemental progesterone until week 15, give or take. So I got well into the second trimester. And then as as I've touted many times on the show, that I have hypothyroid driven by Hajimoto's. And so I've had my thyroid tested every five to six weeks since I've been pregnant so that we can monitor that this whole time. And so, so often... As women, we just don't, again, we don't know our numbers until we know our numbers. And it's really important that we look at those things so that we can continue to support the fetus's development throughout the process. And your fetus needs those hormones. The, your fetus needs estradiol, need, 100% needs progesterone. That That's literally the pregnancy hormone in a lot of ways. And then we also need a lot of, we need thyroid because we run cellular metabolism. And if we want that baby to run cellular metabolism as well, we're going to need that too. So just kind of speaking into that from personal experience, how critical those those things are to know. And especially as we get older, some of those things can just be potentially, I wouldn't call them necessarily a concern, but just something that we need to watch out for. I completely agree with you, Dr. Marisa. And I think that, that traditional OBGYNs are not necessarily thinking about being proactive in this way because Here's the thing from, from their perspective, as much as they care about their patients, pregnancies are abundant. And so they're not watching any one pregnancy that closely, but to us as mamas, I have three super babies. I have helped women in 22 countries on six continents have their super babies. Every one of those babies means the world to me. And so when it's our pregnancy, when, when that baby means the world to us, we are watching the pregnancy very closely. That's not to say being anxious or trying to control every aspect of the pregnancy because that's unrealistic. And I forget who wrote the book who said that the work of pregnancy is worrying. And it's true. As a mama, as a parent, you will worry from start to finish. There, it will never end at every stage. There are new worries. One of the things that we're known for at the Fertility and Pregnancy Institute is the trimester, that time leading up to conception to help people get pregnant, like with you, Dr. Marisa, and also to help people make their super babies, like with you, Dr. Marisa. And we, I have heard so many of our mamas say that before primestering, I struggled for so long to get pregnant. And then once I finally got pregnant, I realized that this was really the begin, uh, beginning of the worrying. I thought I was so worried before, but, but when you get the pregnancy, then the worry, the, the stakes get higher in a way, because then the, the person is there with you. Your, your super baby is there with you. So I want you to know that worry is a natural part of the fertility and pregnancy and parenting process. It goes on and on and on. And it, to some degree, we surrender and, and soften into that worry because it will never completely go away. So I don't mean by being proactive that I want you to 
dive into that worry because that's not going to serve you in any way. But there are things that we know that we can take intelligent and proactive action on. And when it comes to those things, I want you to be very committed to doing them and and being on top of them. So the vast majority of miscarriages happen due to chromosomal abnormality. When we trimester, we reduce the likelihood of having that experience. There are some miscarriages that happen because of inadequate pregnancy hormones. And usually that is progesterone, but it also could be estradiol. It also could be thyroid hormone. And so because of that, we want to be watching those, those hormone levels. And it's very common for women to need to supplement progesterone and even sometimes to supplement estrogen and progesterone supplementation usually goes until the end of the first trimester. Once the placenta is formed, it starts taking over progesterone production. So for most people, they don't need progesterone supplementation once the placenta is producing progesterone, but that's not the case for everybody. And some people will even need to continue supplementing progesterone throughout their pregnancy, especially if they have a history of preterm labor or preterm birth. In that case, we have a lot of scientific evidence that progesterone shots throughout the pregnancy can help to carry the pregnancy to full term and that that will be put into place automatically if or should be put into place automatically if somebody has experienced a preterm birth in the past. It's so, so important for all that clarity, because I think so often we're, we hear a little bit of this, we hear a little bit of that, but we're not sure, we don't understand why. And so thank you so much for that clarity. Okay. So I want to move into supplementation and food. So one of the things that you started off with is, yes, so often you'll hear from pregnant women who are just like, I can eat whatever I want. And here's the thing is that if we, you and I both know food is information, all the time. And that food is not information, not only information for you, but it's information for the baby, especially when we're creating eyeball cells and heart cells and brain cells and liver cells, you know, all those things are being created all at the same time. And so we do want to be mindful about, you know, making sure that we're getting all the right nutrients, vitamins, minerals, antioxidants, everything that we really want to help our baby thrive. Because as you mentioned, you know, epigenetics plays a huge role here. And the definition of epigenetics is that it's constantly changing for us. And then we're passing that information down to our fetuses and, and to our babies. And so talk to me about how should we be focusing on our food and what should we be eating? How should we be mindful? And I know it changes trimester, trimester, a little bit. And I always love to be food focused because I know food is like the the critical information. But then girl, I ain't going to pretend like I'm not taking 12 supplements a day. <laughs> oh, at least 12. I might yeah. be taking like 50. So I, yeah. I get it. Yes. Okay. So food is information. It is so important. And really think of that that information as input that determines the output, both for you and for your super baby. And we all want our super babies because we want our our children to be the healthiest, happiest, brightest, most well-adjusted human beings they can be so that they can have a beautiful life because that's all any of us want as parents for our, our children, our grandchildren, all of our lineage to have the most beautiful life they possibly can. So I'm going to give you the fertile food pyramid, as we call it at the Fertility and Pregnancy Institute. And this 
fertile food pyramid is a great idea to continue, not just in the trimester, but throughout pregnancy. I'll give you some some tweaks for how to eat during pregnancy as opposed to how we generally eat during the trimester. And then let's talk about micronutrient supplementation as well. So when it comes to the fertile food pyramid, I want you to think about the highest quantities being at the bottom and then going up from there. So at the bottom, we have really high quality fats. I'm not talking about trans fats. I'm not talking about hydrogenated oils and throughout the food pyramid at the fertile food pyramid. I really want you to focus on whole foods. These aren't foods that have ingredients because they are ingredients. They, they don't have other ingredients. And I know that it's hard to be perfect. I don't want you to try to be perfect, especially if you already suffer from perfectionism, which Brene Brown calls one of the highest forms of violence that we do to ourselves trying to be perfect. So I don't want you to strive for, for perfectionism, but I want you to strive for at least 80, 20 to the extent that you can. When it comes to foods that you know that you are sensitive to, or that you have a full-blown allergy to in the, and, and the only way you know this for sure is if you do food sensitivity testing, when it comes to those foods, I want you to, I do want you to be perfect. That's the one place where I want you to be perfect because any tiny dosage of foods that are, that we're sensitive or allergic to that are creating an immune response in our bodies are going to be creating inflammation and other things that make it harder to have a healthy pregnancy and also make it harder for our babies to have their very best epigenetic foundation. So food sensitivity testing is another good thing to do once a trimester, because that's also changing constantly. The things that you were sensitive to in the past, you may or may not continue to be sensitive to, especially if you've stopped consuming them for a while. So when it comes to food sensitivities, I do want you to go all in on staying away from those things, but everything else you can use the 80, 20 rule. So again, the fertile food pyramid is largely focused on whole real foods. I'm not talking about shopping at whole foods, although you can get them there if you like, but I'm talking about foods that grow and that, that you would recognize in their, in their purest form. So at the very bottom are really high quality fats. This can be a good mix of saturated and unsaturated fats. Now, depending on your genome, you may need even less saturated fat but for people who don't know their genome or, or know that their genome allows for them to have both saturated and unsaturated fats in, in decent amounts, I want you to use a mix of these. So I'm talking about things like olive oil, avocado oil, and then of the saturated fats, I'm talking about grass-fed ghee. You could even do grass-fed butter if the milk, the milk fat in it isn't bothering you, the ghee basically has gotten rid of all of the milk fats. So it's a great option. And then also coconut oil. If your genomic data tell us that you should keep your saturated fat to 10% of your, of your fat intake or even lower, then you would want to not do as much of the, the ghee, the butter, the coconut oil, and focus on olive oil and avocado oil. I want you to stay away from vegetable oils and also seed oils and nut oils because of the high omega-6 content and how they are distorted when they're heated and, and other things. They're just not the most beneficial fats. That's what we're talking about at the base. 
The next thing is the highest quality protein that you can get your hands on. So based on your budget and whatever else you're working with access. So local grass-fed organic, those are the kinds of things that you want to be focused on here. If you're a vegan or vegetarian, it's a little bit harder to get the, the kinds of protein that you need, but you can, you can use certain kinds of seeds like chia seeds, flax seeds. If you can get very good quality tofu that's organic and non-GMO, you can use tofu and you just have to get creative about ensuring that you're getting the sources of protein that you need. Protein is the building block of your, of your baby. So it's really proteins are the building blocks of your baby. So it's very important that you're getting complete proteins in your diet. Then, then from there, I want you to really focus on leafy green vegetables and cruciferous vegetables. Ideally, these would be organic. It might be the case that having them when they're not organic is counterproductive because they sop up so much. That's one of the reasons why they work so well in the body that if they're grown in highly contaminated soil, soil that's heavy in pesticides, they may be grabbing onto them so much that it actually could be exposing you to even more. That's a very controversial statement. I wouldn't want you to not be eating vegetables if you can't afford to have organic vegetables, but I want you to be really mindful. So even if you had to have frozen instead of fresh, but they could be organic, that might be the way to go. So be creative with, with whatever conditions you are faced with, money, schedule, time, whatever it may be. So green vegetables and cruciferous vegetables. Then from there, I want you to really focus on the colors of the rainbow. So the brightly colored fruits and vegetables, try to keep them lower on the glycemic index. We don't want your blood sugar getting very high over and over again throughout the day. Having too much sugar and having difficulties regulating blood sugar during pregnancy can be very, very consequential for the mama and also for the baby. There's risk of gestational diabetes, risk of preterm birth, preeclampsia, all kinds of things. And having a baby who is what we call in science macrosomic, which is too big, and being both too small and too big at birth can set someone up on a trajectory for having risk for diabetes, for obesity, and, and a disrupted microbiome, which also then contributes to risk of these things. So we want to be really mindful of our sugar exposure. And when we're talking about sugar, I don't mean just eating junk food or eating straight sugar, but things that are converted to sugar in quickly in the body. So that does include fruit. Unfortunately, I love fruit. That's the one thing in the way that I eat that I could definitely eat a lot more fruit if I didn't regulate that part of my eating because I love fruit so much, but so fruit and also grains, because many of the grains that we think of as being quote unquote healthy are really converting into just many tablespoons of sugar in the body. And that's not serving us. So for and, oh, and dairy also. Yes. So you'll see that on this fertile food pyramid, we don't have a place for grains and we don't have a place for dairy. Now that I'm not saying that you absolutely can't have those things, but they're not part of the fertile food pyramid. If you have them, they're just you know, extra things that you're adding. Yeah. They've been off of my program the whole time. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Absolutely. 
So then from there, I want you to focus on prebiotic foods and also probiotic foods. Your microbiome is conditioning your baby's microbiome in utero. You really can think of the microbiome as the second genome. So when we're thinking about epigenetic foundation and epigenetic modifications and marks that we want to pass down intergenerationally to our super babies and our super grandbabies, we really, really want to be taking care of the richness and diversity of our microbiome. So that, that is essentially the, the fertile food pyramid. Anything else that you have on top of that is extra. And if you're going to be eating grains, then I encourage you to be eating gluten-free grains. And, you know, there are some people who say that it's actually a good idea to sort of vaccinate in the third trimester with some gluten so that your baby will not have difficulty consuming gluten later on. I've never done this. I'm completely gluten-free. I didn't do this in any of my pregnancies. Some people recommend that you do it. And if you want to do it, you can do it. However, if you show up as being sensitive in your food sensitivities test to gluten, then I absolutely would not do it. And also the thing is that there's no reason why your baby needs to eat gluten either. So my children, we are, we're gluten-free, dairy-free, sugar-free at home. And when they go to birthday parties or whatever, if they want to have cake, they can. I don't, I don't want them to feel like I'm depriving them of anything but they, they're, they don't have much of a taste for it. So they'll have some, it doesn't seem to bother them that much. They don't feel great when they have it, but it's fine. Yeah. Cause they are getting all of it at once. They're getting gluten, sugar, and dairy all in one <laughs> like, swoop. Don't me, right. They told, they totally like definitely, you know, they're, they're super high energy, but they definitely get more tired after having eaten something like that because their bodies are not used used to it because it's not life-giving. It's not life-giving. And I know it's not fun to hear, but when you don't eat those things and then you do bring them back in, you just, you, you can't help but notice how they just don't make you feel that. No, I agree. And I just want to speak into that as well. You know, when we look at inflammation, which is kind of the, the linchpin when it comes to disease in the body, you know, the three major levers to trigger inflammation when it comes to food are going to be gluten and potentially grains in general, but definitely gluten-driven grains, which are most grains, dairy. We know that, and here's, and I was talking to my husband just yesterday about dairy. A lot of people think, you know, dairy is only going to be, you're going to feel it in the gut. And I was like, maybe if you have lactose intolerance, but most dairy intolerances is it's a respiratory, it's upper respiratory, it's migraines, it's joint pain. It doesn't show up as a gut issue. It shows up all these other places and people mistaken it for something else. So dairy, and then girl, you know how I feel about sugar and, you know, and especially during pregnancy where we've got to really regulate. We know that there are hormones when we're pregnant that make insulin less sensitive. We become more insulin resistant. And so excess amounts of sugar are definitely driving inflammation, but also driving a deregulation of insulin in the body. And that's why kind of one of the first triggers that we see for diabetes in women can be gestational diabetes. And that information really isn't serving our babies either. So I love that you bring this up. You know, we were were having this conversation um, with family over the weekend about how, you know, we plan on raising our little baby 
our little baby boy, gluten-free, sugar-free, dairy-free. And there was a little bit of pushback. And I was just like, I, I know that, you know, if we can raise our, our child, not only in the, you know, as a fetus, but also out of the world without these triggering foods, especially with the amount of toxins and, and all kinds of stuff that we're dealing with these days, once children get out into the world, we just, you'd have a better chance of setting them up for success. Like you said, I love the idea of like life-giving foods. And um, it's really the focus, not only in utero, but then after they're born as well. It is. I mean, it's one of the things that we do most frequently in life is eat. And so it's one of the most important inputs. It's one of the most important sources of information and we, we want to make sure that that input, that source of information is life-giving as much as possible. It's the same thing that you, you want to do for yourself, but you for sure want to do it for your super babies. And the thing is that you're conditioning your baby's tastes and preferences. So my two-year-old is obsessed with broccoli. It's one of his favorite foods. He's also obsessed with carrots and cucumbers. I'm just talking raw, not having taken the skin off of because he has my tastes. And he also loves fish oil because I've been giving him fish oil since he could consume food. And I, I used lots of fish oil during pregnancy. We're going to talk about micronutrient, micronutrient supplementation. But these things come, they start with us. So if you want to set your babies up for success, those are, it starts with us. And I know that's hard. It's not easy. It's, it's always the responsibility starts with us, but it's also an incredible opportunity. And I want to say, I don't think it's unusual how your family gave you pushback on how you're going to be raising your beautiful, yummy, super baby boy. And the, here's why, because it sounds like it's not normal. Like you're doing something different from what everybody else is doing. Like, isn't it normal to have grains? Isn't it, or gluten? Isn't it normal to have dairy? Isn't it normal to have sugar? And I'm going to say something a little bit controversial. And the, what I'm going to say is that just because everybody else is doing it doesn't mean that it's the right thing and doesn't mean it's the right thing for us. So let me tell you what everyone doing has gotten us to in, at this time in history. For the first time in history, average life expectancy has been declining as opposed to growing since 2014. We have huge epidemics of type 2 diabetes, type 3 diabetes, which is Alzheimer's disease, and by the way, the same constellation of pathologies that underlie type 2 diabetes and type 3 diabetes, and it's the same one, they just show up in different decades of life, begin in the second and third decades of life, show up, showing up as fertility challenges, which is why fertility challenges are on the rise as well. I have termed that type F diabetes. We have these epidemics of obesity, type two, type three diabetes, other kinds of degenerative diseases because they were set into motion decades ago in our parents' trimester, in our grandparents' trimester and pregnancies. So if we don't want those trajectories to continue in our society and especially not within our own families, 
we don't want to be doing what everybody else is doing. And I know that's not fun necessarily or convenient. Although when you live that way, you feel differently about it because you feel like it's such a gift that you get to eat such beautiful food that supports your vitality and your brain function and how you want to look and feel and be and show up in the world and what you want to contribute. Because if you don't have the brain power or the energy in your body, you can't possibly do and be all the things that you want to do and be in this life. So I think of it as an incredible opportunity so much so that we call our nutrition division at the Fertility and Pregnancy Institute, the nutritional gifts division, because it is a gift that you give to yourself and your, your, your super baby. I don't want you to think of it as restricting yourself or depriving yourself in any way. So let's talk about with the time that we have left, micronutrient supplementations. Yeah, we got a couple minutes left. So girl, we're going to have you run through it. All right, we're going to do it fast. Okay, so there are five core supplements for the primester pregnancy and the postpartum period. So the first one is a a high quality food-based prenatal vitamin. I like the thorn prenatal vitamin Until, until our supplements are ready. And then I highly recommend those. Okay, so then the thorn prenatal and then a probiotic. And what I recommend is different strains of probiotics that help to increase the richness and diversity of your microbiome and therefore your baby's microbiome. And then I want you to also be looking into the possibility of vitamin D supplementation. Now you want to be measuring and monitoring your vitamin D levels, but in pregnancy, the general recommendation is at least 4,000 IUs per day. It's different from non-pregnant populations. The other thing that you're looking at is a B complex so that you're getting more of the B vitamins than are just in the prenatal vitamins. So here I want you to especially be paying attention to methylated forms of B vitamins. And I want you to be looking at in particular methylated folate, choline, and then also B12. So the B vitamins are very important. If we have time, I can say a little bit more about the B, the B vitamins. And then the, the next one, and this is the fifth one, is omega-3s, getting fish oil. And you, if you're a vegetarian, you can use algae sources of fish oil. If you're not vegetarian or vegan, then you can use a combination of fish oil and algae sources. Those are incredibly important for your brain, your baby's brain development, as is choline. And saying more about the B vitamins, anemia is very important to stay on top of during pregnancy. And there can be a relationship of deficiencies in folate and B12 that contribute to anemia. So these things are all related to one another. So you may need This is not part of the core supplements because not everybody needs it, but based on your own body, you may need some iron supplementation. However, you want to look at your B vitamins as well if you are experiencing anemia and also you don't want your iron supplementation to be from uh, liver because of the high vitamin A content in liver that is not safe for pregnancy. Perfect. 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 And it's in full alignment with what I believe to be true as well. 
And again, majority of prenatals aren't bringing the abundance of the ones that you just mentioned. So yes, it's important to have a foundational prenatal because there's important key minerals and and other vitamins in there that we need, but we do need an abundance, more abundance of the vitamins that you mentioned. So I we both agree that those need to be taken individually. Yes. On top of the prenatal. On top of, absolutely. And the last thing I'll say is that if somebody has experienced a miscarriage or there are known or suspected chromosomal abnormalities, whether you've done IVF and seen that your embryos weren't chromosomally normal or you've had difficulty getting or staying pregnant, the, the Centers for Disease Control rec- recommends a high dosage of methylated folate up to four grams, up to four grams. And if you are somebody who has ulcerative colitis or another type of inflammatory condition, it may even be up to five grams of methylated folate. Perfect. So definitely make sure that we step up our methylated folate, especially if there are some inflammatory conditions that could be driving down. We're just not processing enough. We're not getting enough of it in, um, or it's it's not crossing through to the blood. Dr. Cleopatra, thank you so much, not only for painting the picture of what to do when we get pregnant, but also how to nourish our bodies and our babies' bodies, and then the importance of supplementation. You know, I, I was, I remember when I posted something, I did a whole episode on supplementation for each trimester and postpartum. And I was amazed. I had posted on social and I had several women tell me that their OBGYN said that they didn't even need a prenatal. And I was like, what? What? I did so I really am so grateful that you went over those very quickly in a time where again even though food is powerful we are lacking some of those nutrients in a time where stress is high and we're burning through nutrition as well we're burning through key nutrients we just need to really make sure that we we've got everything that we need for our growing babies. Yes, absolutely. And also based on your genome you may need more methylated folate because your methylation processes are constrained. So there are a lot of factors and I don't think that we want to rely on the consensus for making these decisions because like I said, look where the consensus has gotten us. And I know that that's a controversial statement, but it is a true statement. It is a true statement. Now, where can we find you, my dear? So come visit us at the Fertility and Pregnancy Institute website. It's fertilitypregnancy.org. We have a new website going up that's so beautiful. So I'm excited for you to visit us there. And if you are in your trimester wanting to get pregnant, there's the ultimate fertility checklist is there. You can grab that for yourself. It has incredible information. Perfect. We will have both of those links inside the show notes for this episode. Dr. Cleopatra, I know we're going to get you to come back one more time later on just to kind of conclude our pregnancy episodes. And I'm super excited for you to jump back on with me for one more interview. And thank you so much for coming on today. You're so welcome. Can't wait to talk postpartum with you. Love you, mama and baby. I love that Dr. Cleopatra has some great practical tips for eating and supplementation for any mama to be. No surprise that food is medicine, and that's especially true when you're pregnant and eating for two. At the end of the day, supporting your body before, during, and after pregnant is really about giving yourself and your body what it needs to thrive. It takes a tremendous amount of energy to create another human being from scratch, 
And it's my goal in this episode to equip you with everything you need supplementation-wise to create that little baby with ease and grace. Now, if there's someone in your life who is trying to get pregnant or who currently is pregnant, definitely share this episode with them. They will absolutely want to connect with Dr. Cleopatra. Now, you will find the link for Dr. Cleopatra's fertility checklist in the show notes for this episode, which is 242 along with my free hormone supplement guide in case you want to support your hormones and want to know what is best to take for issues like low energy, mood swings, irregular menstrual cycles, estrogen dominance, hot flashes, night sweats. I mean, it's the gamut. We're covering the gamut with this guide and it's it's the perfect reference guide for whenever you need it most. Thank you so much for listening in today. I hope it shines some light on how to navigate this important and sacred journey into motherhood. And on this coming Friday's episode, I'm super excited to dive deeper into hormone issues, but especially understanding what's going on as we enter into perimenopause. I want to break down the three phases of perimenopause and how to address them. And I look forward to having you along for the ride. Until then, have an amazing day. I look forward to seeing you soon. 